will speak about the three things uh, that will that can lead to failure in the Christian life. So if you want to come back tonight, I want to thank you for the reception I got coming down here. This I, do you do this for all your Canadian friends? Everybody's showing up, and uh, I thought that was great. The topic uh, this morning that um, they asked me to speak on is uh, church government and uh, elders. So uh, we'll look at that this morning. And I wondered, uh, just before we do that, how about we ask the Lord to bless our time uh, together. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness to us, Father. We thank you for these young people coming up here, Lord. Uh, What a blessing it is uh, to hear the word of God and the emphasis that uh, we pray it will be in their lives. And Father, we just thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the head of this church, the head of the universal church, and the head of this assembly. And Father, today we pray, O God, that you might bless as we open up thy word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wondered if you would turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And I will just start reading uh, verse 5, and we'll stop there for a minute and uh, consider a few things. But our text uh, generally will be in Titus chapter 1 today. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. The term here used in verse 5 is a medical term. And the uh, NIV said, uh, says uh, that you might straighten out. So this is almost uh, the admonition to Titus from the Apostle Paul was, look, I want you to straighten things out. And the reason that um, this is, is said in this context is that these were pagans who had come to know Christ in a very, very pagan society. And the Apostle Paul would go on to tell Titus to set things straight. Folks, when you read the Bible, you will learn something about God. And one thing you'll learn about Him throughout his scripture, and that he is a God of order, not disorder. Turn back with me just for a minute. I want to read a verse in, Ge- in Genesis, uh, excuse me, in Exodus in chapter 25, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 25. Moses is up in the mountain. He's getting instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And uh, look at verse 9. 
according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. The NIV says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly, exactly like the pattern I will show you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, perhaps I'm speaking to some here this morning, that you come here, you enjoy the fellowship, and you like the place because of the people and perhaps because the preaching. But there's a very important principle that you need to understand. The New Testament church is not supposed to be left to man's design. Just like the tabernacle. He told Moses, look, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I read through the Bible, I get to, um, to Exodus chapter 25, and then the tough sledding starts. Right? If you go through the Bible in a year, you're probably like me. Oh, no, we're going to do Exodus in the next little bit. First part of Exodus, of course, is very fascinating and exciting. But then it gets into detail, doesn't it? Real detail on the building of the tabernacle. And the curtains are to be like this. And the rods are to be like this. And this is to be like this. And you know what, folks? It's difficult reading, isn't it? It is. But it, it comes to a point so that we can understand something about God. God is a God of order. There is nothing that is done that isn't important to Him. And do you think that when He created the New Testament church, and he gave his instructions to his apostles on how to do it, especially the Apostle Paul. Do you think he left that to chance? And by the grace of God, what happens here and in thousands and thousands of places like it, by the way, God's not into numbers, you know. God's not into numbers. God's into obedience to His Word. And He said, Paul said to Titus, Titus, listen to me. I want you to set in order. It's almost like setting a fracture. I want you to set it straight and do it right because there's a reason for it. Do you know that God is a God of order and everything? Anyone here can stand up and tell me how many miles we are away from the sun? Anybody know that by heart? Somebody want to say it? What did somebody? I didn't hear it. Somebody else? Close. Whatever, brother, right? No, here, here it is. Here it is. And, and, and just to show you, okay? Because I think there's principles here. We are exactly 92,960,000 miles away from the sun. 92,960,000 miles away from the sun. Do you know that if we were one mile closer 
Come on. Are you kidding me? Out of 92 million miles, if we were just one mile closer, you and I wouldn't even be alive right now. We couldn't live. If we were... Now, you might think, because I'm from Canada, eh? <laughs> uh, you might think that, oh, we're farther from the sun than you. Yeah. Uh, no, but listen, if we were just a mile, a mile, if we were 92,961,000 miles away from the sun, we'd freeze to death. Folks, listen to me. God is a God of order. You see it in the universe. You see it in the government, right? Um, when you have an orderly government, things work much better, right? These kids were getting up here today and saying something in the verse, right? What was it? The head of Christ is who? God. You see, it has everything to do with order. It has everything to do with a lack of chaos. And folks, we, we, we see it too, don't we, in our homes, the way it should be, right? Listen, this is an observation, okay, from, from, from me. Because uh, we, we hate to say it. We hate to say it. But when we don't take God seriously in our homes, what happens? You folks know it. We have a, we have a situation in Canada with the native population. They're in absolute chaos in Canada. Right? And it doesn't matter how much, folks, how much money we pour into the situation. It hasn't gotten any better. As a matter of fact, it's gotten worse. You know what? Because they're not following God's order for their homes. You know what's happened in the native community in Canada? There's no more fathers. There's no daddies. And folks, I'm going to tell you, nobody wants to say it because it's not politically correct. But you know what's happening in the United States of America? Why are we falling apart at the seams, really? Think about it. Because of our homes. And we're not following the blueprint of what God has told us to do. And I lay it on most men. Because God, what did, what did, what did they say? The head of the, head of the home is, uh, is who? The, the, whole, the father. And you know what? The 72% of the children born in African-American homes today are born out of wedlock with no daddies. And guess what happens, folks? In all due respect, I mean that. In all due respect. Because we see it in Canada. Well, it's coming apart at the seams, right? Morality out the window. Why? Folks, listen, before we talk about elders in this place, we need to understand that God has a reason for doing what he does. It's not to be left to our imaginations, folks. This is a God, the God of the universe, the God of our homes. And when we do it right, we follow his pattern. It's amazing what happens. Right? 
It's no different than the assembly. And any time you read about elders, you read about plurality of elders. It's never meant to be a one-man show. And again, in all due respect to the, the way other churches, for example, operate, and the vast majority, you would say, well, Tony, uh, you know what? You're, you're a lone ranger. There's very few of us. There's very few New Testament churches, right? And if we were to take the population of, of true evangelical Christianity, we'd be right down at the bottom of the list probably, right? In terms of numbers, perhaps. Well, certainly in North America we would be, right? But that doesn't make it right what the other churches are doing. And, you know, folks, listen, God will honor, we'll be in heaven. It's not going to be just a special little place for us, brethren. Although some people think that, <laughs> you know. But the reason I, you know, listen, I, I, I was saved uh, out of a religious home, but had no evangelical upbringing whatsoever. But I'll tell you, when I read this word, when I read this book, and if this book is to be my guide, I tell you, this is why I'm here this morning. And this is where I fellowship. And when I fellowship in, uh, back in my hometown, I fellowship. And you know what, folks? Uh, I, I will, I will I, I, in all due respect and all loving to my uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who do not have the same convictions as I do, I still can take the book out and you show me why you do what you do. And I'll show you why I go to a place that does what they do. It, 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 it God, you know, when he, when he was building that tabernacle, you know, Moses didn't go down. Well, he told me to do, you know, to start inside out, by the way. I don't know if you ever noticed that. You know, like we would build maybe the frame, you know. Have it done. No, 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 you do the, you do the middle because that's me. <laughs> you do the holy, the holy, the holy of holies. That's the first place you construct. But you know what, folks? I mean, listen, you know, uh, if Moses was, you know, Moses just, you know, get it done. No, he didn't say that. He said, Moses, you do it exactly the way I told you to do it. And so, folks, listen, study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I tell you, I tell you, this New Testament assembly is is the place that you ought to be. And it's and it, it's in the scriptures now with, of course, <laughs> you're here. That makes it imperfect. Right? I'm here. Makes it imperfect. Right? But we still follow the pattern. I think that's very important. So let's talk about elders for a minute. Let's talk about the making of an elder. The making of an elder. I think this is important because if you would talk to most parents, they give very little thought, in my opinion, to the making of an elder. Mothers, let me talk to you for a minute. If you have a son, I have two grandchildren that are American. That means, unlike my other grandchildren, they could qualify to come down here in the motorcade. We're probably going to get interrupted here, right? and actually run for the President of the United States. 
I've got two of them out of my 11 grandchildren that are American-born. They would qualify to run for the highest office in this country, right? My other nine couldn't. The problem, I think, that we have is that we don't see our sons with the potential of having the highest office in all of the universe in terms of the way God sees it. And that is, we ought to be raising up those young boys to be leaders and elders in the assemblies. I'll tell you, folks, that's going to start in your home. When I think of Moses' mom and dad, who are in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, they knew they had a special child, and they hid that boy, right, by faith. And God honored them. Folks, listen, you know what? We're so worried about the, what this, the, 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 the education of our kids. We're so worried about whether their teeth are straight or their spine is straight. But we have never, perhaps, given any consideration to, you know what? I want to raise a godly boy for Jesus Christ. And like Hannah, who said, God, you give me a boy, and I'll give him back to you. Do you think that God would, doesn't honor that prayer? I'll tell you, parents, the highest office that will last forever for your boys is for them. Raise them up so that they would qualify to become an elder in a local assembly. I don't, there's no higher honor than that. There's no higher honor than that. And I think we lose that vision. I don't think, you know, we, we look at our kids and, and you know, uh, we, we, uh, we, we get their priorities. We, we, they, they, they sense it. That it's education, education, education. You've got to get ahead. You've got to do your, you know. But you know what, folks? I, and I'm not telling you that they, there shouldn't be any emphasis on that. I, I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is what is our real priority there? So the making of an elder, by and large, will happen in your homes, folks. The making of an elder will happen in your homes. What is the function of an elder? The function of an elder is, first of all, to protect the assembly from attacks. Turn with me to Acts and chapter uh, 20. Acts chapter 20. I want, you to, uh, I want to read a couple of verses with you.
The Apostle Paul is meeting here with elders, and he says this to them. For I know this, verse 29, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. The function of an elder is to protect the flock. I'll tell you what, folks. The assembly, and I've been around just long enough to, I think I could comment here. Okay? I've come down enough. I said to Rosie walking in here this morning, I said, this is my second home. I thank God for you. I do. But I'll tell you what, folks, you'll never rise higher than the spirituality of the elders that are here. It's such an important job. And their function, one of them, is to protect you. You know, I remember an instance, because what the Apostle Paul was saying to the elders there is that attacks will come from without, and there will be attacks from within. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, here in this assembly, but I know a lot of assemblies that have experienced both of them. Attacks from without and attacks from within. And, and, and folks, do you see this thing here? I know it's just a piece of wood. But it's the elder's job to protect this thing. And who comes behind this thing? It's the elder's job. Because I tell you, I have heard things from pulpits around that is false teaching. I remember there was a, a, a man that was in full-time work. He came to uh, our assembly, and he got up and he said this, very eloquent. He said, um, Jesus Christ never sinned, but Jesus Christ could have sinned. I'll tell you, the elders were in a meeting within an hour after that man spoke. Two things happened. One, he was never to speak again in our assembly. And the second thing up is that the elders got together and one of the elders got up and corrected that teaching and gave a sound teaching on Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who could never sin, and there was no sin in him, and there, there was not a possibility they could ever sin, and they protected the pulpit from those little lambs out there, a lot of baby Christians at the time, that wouldn't, what did they know? Some, though, I really thank God. You know, I remember uh, coming up to us, you know, baby Christians, and saying, was that right? Was that what could they... Is that, could, could Jesus have sinned? I know he was human, but could he have sinned? Doesn't sound right to me. And we just corrected that problem big time, right there and then. And uh, they can come from without. They can come from within. You can, I, I, I've been to a place uh, not far in northern Ontario where uh, the pulpit was overtaken by... Those who, if you didn't preach from the King James Bible, the 1611 version, it wasn't of God. 
And they wouldn't let anybody else get near that pulpit unless they not only used it, but they believed it to the exclusion uh, of any Christian that didn't believe the way they believed. Big split in the assembly, of course. Folks, listen, elders are there for a reason. And I venture to say that the elders here spend half of their meetings worried and, and, and praying about problems uh, within the assembly and protecting. First thing they have to protect is right here. Big job. I'll tell you there's a movement coming. The Bible tells us that in the last days that people will gather for themselves because they're going to have itchy ears and they want to have people tell them and they want to make it mishy-mashy and like mashed potato preaching and they don't want to have their feathers ruffled and they're going to and I'll tell you folks it's invaded the assemblies already and they and and thank God it hasn't invaded this place and it'll be up to the elders never to let it happen do you know that there's a movement coming across it's hitting Canada now started in the United States that says there's no hell God wouldn't send anybody to hell did you know that that's a big movement it's coming folks it's coming and, and we, we need protection from that, don't we? Study to show, show thyself approved unto God. They are to care and shepherd for the flock. They are to preach the word and teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. And I have all these verses. Look at 9, look at uh, Timothy, we'll go, uh, Titus, I mean, go back there and verses um, uh, 9 through 11, chapter 1. Look at what it says. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Of course, in the time, there was a lot of Jewish Christians that got saved, right? What did they do? You see it right throughout the New Testament. What did they do? Well, they wanted to mix their Ju Judaism with Christianity, right? And, hey, you don't think it can happen? Peter! Peter got deceived! The Apostle Peter, right? And what happened? Paul had to go to his face. He had to rebuke him. He says, you're trying to mix. Don't mix. Jesus Christ has started a new thing here. Don't mix it. It's false teaching. Even Barnabas got sucked in. So don't think for a minute that we can't go down the path. That's why we need to be protective of our elders. We need to pray for them. And that God would raise up other elders here, young men, who will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this place, we're going to protect it. By their life, 1 Peter 5 and 3 says, By their life, they shall be an example to us. They'll be an example. They are to restore, Galatians 6 and 1, believers who have been overtaken in a trespass. They lead and rule not by driving the flock, but being examples. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12, 1 Timothy 5 and 17, and Hebrews 13 and 
verse 7 and verse 11. The function of an elder. The qualifications of an elder. We could spend a many a sermon here on the qualifications of an elder. The bar, folks, is very high. It's very high. I used to tell when I used to preach, now they don't want me anymore, uh, but I used to speak at a lot of youth conferences. I, I traveled all over North America speaking to youth. And I used to tell pe- the girls, I get the girls in this session, say, give me those girls. I say, okay, ladies, I don't want no social work dating. You know what social work dating is? You women know this. Uh, The more problems the guy had, the more you like him. Right? And I used to say, you girls, I don't want no social work dating. I want you to look for a young man that has a possibility of becoming an elder. That's who I want you to marry. And if you're not sure, ask me. I'll tell you what the guy's like. If he's a creep, I'll tell you. Rosie and I ran the youth group for many, many years in our local assembly. And I'll tell you, I laid it out straight. I said, you don't want to. Because I always say, oh, he's so cute. Oh, look at him. He's such a hunk. I said, oh, yeah, he'll be a stinker if you ever marry him. Let me tell you that. But there's qualifications for an elder. And I used to say to these young women, that's who you want to marry. That's who you want to marry. The bar's high. The bar's high. But you know what? Here's the number one thing to understand there in Titus. And he says it twice, actually. He's saying, if any be blameless. Blameless. Do you know that that's the overriding principle of all the qualifications of an elder? There's 20, count them, 20 qualifications. You know what? None of them. Listen to what I'm going to say for a second. None of them have to do with gift. None. It's not, it's not a matter of gift, is it? It has everything to do, the qualifications of an elder has everything to do whether he is blameless or not. What does that mean? It means above reproach. What does that mean? Get it simpler, Tony. What does that mean? What you see is what you get. On the inside and the outside. Above reproach. Above Uh, A a, a person that is showing spiritual maturity. Not a novice. The Bible is very clear. Don't pick, oh yeah, but the guy's got a good degree in business. We need that. No, you don't. No, you don't. You want a man who is above reproach. He's got a good reputation out there in the world. And he's got a good reputation in here. And he's got a good reputation in his home. That's such a key. That is such a key. Um, It's his 
ethics, his morals, his temperament, his habits, his spiritual maturity. He, it does not mean perfect. But he's well thought of by the believers and unbelievers. That's such a key. It's the overriding principle. When you look at the rest of it, uh, uh, a good name is to be chosen uh, uh, rather than great riches. I, I, I think of Micah 6 and 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What is that that the Lord requires? Of course, this is for all of us. But this is a higher standard for them, that, they, that you act justly, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with your God. That ought to be your elders in this place, folks. Men with spiritual maturity and wisdom. And God has honored them because they honor God. I think of my son-in-law, who's an elder in our assembly in Sudbury. I tell you that because you don't know him. He's an emergency physician. I treat a lot of his uh, people that work with him. Nurses come to see me. And, you know, I, I tell them, oh, Sam, that's my, that's my son-in-law. Oh, Sam. Oh, we love Sam. I mean, listen, folks, I don't know if you've ever been to emergent, but in Canada, you don't want Obamacare, by the way. I'm going to be political for a second. You don't want it. We have it. You wait 24 hours in Sudbury in emergency, unless you have my son-in-law. And I go, I call him 1-800-SAM. Hey, Sam, you want me to be in a good mood? I'm coming to emergency, so be ready. Okay, but you can't do that, right? Now, you don't want what we have in Canada. Believe me when I tell you that. Okay, you don't want it. That's the only political statement I'm going to make. Okay, no, but I'm saying, okay, so I treat, you see, I'm not ashamed to tell people, well, that's my son-in-law. You know why he has such a good reputation? He won the doctor of the year in our local hospital it was all over the newspapers. And it wasn't because he was the best doctor. It was because, you know what? The nurses loved him so much. They're the ones who get the vote. Ask nurses. You want to know what a doctor's like? Ask the nurse. Got to work with the guy 24 hours a day. They go, he's a creep, you know? Not Sam. You know what I mean, folks? That's the kind of man. It's reality. And, you know, listen, I'm, I, I don't want to keep you over time, but I, I just want to, to, to get a couple of points out here. Number one, it's so important to God, because we're not going to have time to, today to go through this, okay? But, I, but if you read Titus chapter 1, you'll see in, in Titus chapter 2, very important, cause, because the, the writer here takes it out several times. And you know what that is? Reputation. You see, folks, the leadership in here, who set the standards for the assembly here, who represent Jesus Christ here. To the world out there, you give them no chance, no chance to condemn Christ because of the way we live. Right? They say, well, you know, one thing about so-and-so, he's consistent. One thing about so-and-so, he's religious, I, he bugs me in that sense. But that's what bugs them. Not, not that the fact that you're a, a, a miserable neighbor, right? 
That's so important. Doctrine here in Titus has to do with everything leads to we're a bright and shining light in a dark world, and it starts with the elders. And that's why it's important that when they are chosen by God, they're willing, of course, willing heart, God's um, choosing is that they represent Christ as ambassadors for him in a positive light. And I'll close with this. The elder, the elder has to have his home in control. I tell you, folks, I have seen disasters in my 30 years of Christianity when elders were named. And they lived one way on a Sunday, and when they got home, it wasn't the same guy. And generally what happens, generally what happens in that situation, kids are not stupid, by the way, you know that, eh? Your kids at the smallest little age, I'll tell you, their kids are intelligent, Beyond belief. And you know what they sniff out? You know what a kid will sniff out? Hypocrisy. Oh, it's more important for daddy that I go to school every day than me being at the meetings on Sunday. It's more important to him. I get in more trouble if I've skipped school than if I'm not, oh, Sunday, why do I got to be here Sunday? I'll tell you why you got to be here Sunday. Because in my house, you want to eat? You come Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night. Oh, Danny, I don't feel like going. I'm going. You're coming if you want to eat. You don't want to eat, don't worry about it. That's the way it was in our house. And my wife and I were on the same page. And it was consistency. You know what? Too bad, so sad, you're dad. That's the way it is. You know what? And I'm watching my kids now, all grown up, 11 grandchildren of my own. I watch them. And I go, you know what? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm Pentecostal so many times. I'm, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. you know why? Because my kids, I'm watching them raise up my grandchildren. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, that's, an elder's got to be like that, man. He cannot be inconsistent because kids, they sniff it out. They sniff it out. And leadership, leadership in a home is a loving authority. Not just because, hey, I'm the man of the house, shut up, and that's the way it is. I mean, that don't work either, right? A loving authority. And then you get willing obedience. And listen, you're going to have trouble in your home. Hello? (laughs) You will have trouble. You know why? Satan will make sure. He hates your guts. And he will make sure you have trouble. You'll always have one. Always the little rebellion. Right? Always. You're going to have it. You'll see it. But I'll tell you what, folks. Be consistent. Men, I'm talking to you for a second here. I talked to the ladies already. Or did I? Oh, yeah, yeah, the young ladies. Consistency. 
consistency. That's what they want to see. It's real. You know one thing about my dad? It's real with him. Jesus Christ is his Lord. And yeah, he ain't perfect, but it's real. And folks, I'll tell you, when you look at all the other qualifications for an elder, you can put them under that umbrella, and that is he, he is blameless. He is above reproach. He is consistent. He is committed uh, to the things of God. And there's no doubt about that. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you, God. Thank you for this day. I thank you for these precious folks, Lord, that you've gathered here today. You know each and every heart. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would go home if we have trouble in our homes, O oh God, and make it right. Father, uh, and uh, you know, even with our young children, O oh God, that perhaps we're, we're not uh, training them up in the way they should go. Oh, Father, would you help us, O oh God, to, uh, to just to rely on your grace and to show commitment, Father, and um, Father, turn our homes around, O oh God, too, that they might be uh, for you. And I, I pray for the uh, Father, for men and women, uh, Lord. I, I think of these young people that came to the front today. God, would you raise up in there godly men and women committed to the New Testament assembly truths? Father, committed to their homes and committed to the Lord Jesus more than uh, anything else. And so, Father, today, would you bless us? Father, we need your help. We live in a dark world, O oh God. We know that Satan goeth about like a roaring lion, seeking to devour whom he may. Father, I pray for the leadership here. I pray that you put your loving arms around them, that you would bless them, that you would put a hedge of protection around them, Father. I pray for their homes. I pray for their wives. I pray for their children. Oh, God, we know that they, they, they get special consideration from uh, those heavenly forces of wickedness, oh, God. But you're greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And, Father, we know that you've overcome. Father, thank you for Jesus, oh, God. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.